So we're going to be talking about the fruit of the Spirit now. We've got a new series. We finished the sermon series on uh, the book of Revelation. Uh, everybody breathed a great sigh of relief with that. <clears throat> and, um, and for the next ten weeks now, we're talking about Galatians chapter 5, uh, especially verses 22 and 23. Uh, so it's going to take us right up until Christmas, this uh, series on the fruit of the Spirit. So to put it plainly, uh, this, this list, the fruit of the Spirit, is a list of holy attributes that characterize the personal life and the relationships of people who belong to Christ. Uh, people who are in a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, this is a list of attributes that uh, characterize uh, the personal life of such people. So there are nine of these attributes, the fruit here, that we will look at, one each week. But first, uh, this week, I want to introduce you to the Holy Spirit, because they are the fruit of the Spirit. Right? The Spirit's mentioned seven times in this passage. We're to walk by the Spirit, we're to be led by the Spirit, we're to live in the Spirit, and uh, keep in step with the Spirit. So, And the fruit that we're called to bear, it's His fruit, the Spirit's fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. So who the Spirit is and how the Spirit works is extremely important to our understanding of what this fruit actually is and uh, how we can bear it in our lives. So let's talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, first, we'll talk to Him. We'll pray, then we'll read the Scripture. And then as, uh, as we go through this series, we're going to read verses 22 and 23 um, you know, for the next 10 weeks. We're going to read that. Hopefully one of the functions of that is it sort of embeds itself in our memories, maybe especially the children. This, these are a couple good verses to memorize together, the fruit of the Spirit. So as we read this, I'm going to read the whole passage, but when it comes to verses 22 and 23, where it says what the fruit of the Spirit is, uh, let's all read that together, and we'll do that every week. Okay, so let's pray, then we'll read the Scripture. Holy Spirit of God, we thank you for inspiring the prophets and the apostles to write the scriptures. And we pray that as we come to this passage this morning, you would illuminate our minds to know you and to know Jesus and to know the Father through him. And we pray that you would make our hearts new so that by hearing with faith, we would become your vessels and we would grow in your holiness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, and watch out that you're not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good, that went well. All right. Uh, So this passage of Paul's on the fruit of the Spirit, uh, I think it seems particularly relevant to us and helpful to us these days. Our society is roiling with conflict. It's just boiling everywhere. Uh, People are rioting over uh, police brutality and racial injustices. People are angry at authorities and angry at each other about how to respond to a virus. People are tearing one another down on social media. People are polarizing over politics, right? Pushing each other further left or further right, like magnets repelling each other. Conflict. The conflict, the fighting, doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. And these conflicts, they don't just exist out there in the world, right? These conflicts are easily carried right into the church. Brothers and sisters in the church seem perfectly willing to fight about the very same things that the world is fighting about, and in the very same ways, biting and devouring one another. Conflict is a universal human experience, unfortunately, even in the church still. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is the good news of divine conflict resolution. Pretty much every letter in the New Testament is written because of some conflict or another that existed in the churches that were planted by the apostles themselves. Sometimes people have sort of an idealistic view of what it must have been like for the ancient church, those churches that were planted by the apostles themselves. No, they were really messed up, these churches. So you know that if those churches planted by the apostles themselves, they experienced serious conflict, we're not going to be immune to it either. But there's a cure that the apostles write about. The cure for the plague of interpersonal conflict. It's always the gospel. It's never anything but the gospel. The gospel is the cure for the conflict as it gets addressed in the scriptures in the New Testament. So in Galatia, it's letters written to the Galatians, uh, there was conflict between especially the, the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, and especially over the works of the law. Certain Jewish believers had taught that the Gentiles, the non-Jews, they had to keep the laws of Moses. They particularly had to be circumcised if they were really going to belong to God. If they were really going to belong among the true people of God, then they've got to keep the works of the law, and they've got to be circumcised. So this issue had caused real divisions, practical Dissensions and divisions among believers. Very visible things. They stopped eating meals together. They'd been distorting the gospel, and they hadn't been living in line with the gospel, and the result was conflict. Conflict between brothers and sisters in the church. So Paul wrote to settle the conflict with the true gospel of Jesus Christ that says, you all belong to God through faith in Jesus. 
not because you have kept the laws of Moses. You belong to God, you belong to Christ, you belong in the church as God's true people, not because you've kept the laws of Moses, but through faith in Jesus. The gospel says you have been justified, that you have been counted righteous, counted as if you kept all of God's law, counted righteous by God, and accepted into his family. It's all a free gift. It's all a free gift of his grace through the obedience of God's Son, through the death of God's Son on the cross. Because of the person and work of Jesus Christ, the first word about you is that you belong to God. You belong to Christ. You belong here among God's people in the church. So your own holiness is not the foundation for your belonging. It's the reverse. Belonging to Jesus is the foundation for your holiness. That's the way Paul talks about it. So in the church, as those who belong to Christ, as those who are reconciled to God and to each other by his grace through faith in Jesus, we're to stop fighting, we're to stop competing, we're to stop trying to one-up each other and stop distancing ourselves from each other and stop provoking each other, stop biting and devouring and consuming one another. Because we all belong to Christ through faith, we're called out of the conflicts that we so easily fall into, and we're called into this new life. It's a new community and a new life that we're called into in real restored relationships with God and with one another. And the fruit of the Spirit, these are the traits of this new life. These are the traits of the divine life, the holy life, that can characterize us now instead of things like self-centered conflict and division. So this, this fruit can characterize our lives as Christians in the church now because we have received the Spirit of God, not by the works of the law, trying harder to obey God's law, to fulfill His commands in order to keep Him happy with you. That's not how you start to display and bear the fruit of the Spirit in your life. By hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ with faith, that's how you receive the Spirit, and that's how you're perfected in the Spirit, Paul says. So we can bear this holy fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, in our relationships, in the church, because we have the Holy Spirit. Why? I mean, who's the Holy Spirit? Why does having the Holy Spirit mean that we can bear this fruit? So let's think about this uh, theologically for just a minute. <clears throat> Hopefully that doesn't sound like a boring thing to you. Hopefully that sounds like a thrilling thing to you thinking theologically. Let's think in, in Trinitarian terms, because that's the God we have. That's the God that reveals himself in the Holy Scriptures. Let's think about the triune God. The one true God, he's one. He's a unity. He's a unity of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each person is fully God. Each person is co-equally God. Yet there's not three gods. They're so united that there's not three gods. These three persons are one God. So the scriptures speak of the Father and the Son relating to one another in what is called the fellowship of the Holy Spirit or the communion of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, he's this person who is fully God. He's the one true God. He is himself the unity of persons. 
He's the unity of the Father and the Son. He's the very essence of the one who loves the other. He's the very being of the God who is love. So for him to be called the Holy Spirit, as we often see in the Scriptures, maybe not in this passage, but often throughout the Scriptures, he's called the Holy Spirit. This idea of holiness, it's not just some kind of uh, sterilized, sanitized, uh, Clorox clean purity, untainted. It's not just that. It's not just the sanitized purity of God that we're talking about when we say the Holy Spirit. He's the life of the Holy Trinity. He's the life of this unique God. He's the life of the God who is three persons, one God. He's the life of the God of unity. That's who the Holy Spirit is. He's the life of the God of unity personified in person. And that's why he's holy. So this, this list, these aspects of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, these are, these are character traits. These are holy traits of God himself. Paul is writing to the church. He's writing to, even, even to us. Say, these things ought to characterize your life. Why? Because they, they characterize, they define the Holy Spirit himself. They characterize God himself. And what's more, they're also the character traits of humanity in God's image. If we actually reflect God's image like we were created to do, and as we're redeemed to do in Christ, as we reflect God's image, we reflect these character traits. So there are, it's the character traits of humanity in God's image, the character traits of human beings as we're in right relationship with God. So to put it another way, If God himself were a human being in right relationship with God, then this fruit would describe him perfectly. If God were a human being in right relationship with God, this fruit would describe him. And that's exactly what we have in Jesus. We have God who became a human being in right relationship with God. And that's why so many Christians have taught and believed uh, that the fruit of the Spirit here is it's a character sketch of Jesus Christ. That's what it's been called, a character sketch of Jesus Christ. This fruit is what happens when the Spirit of the triune God lives in a human being and works in and through a human being. Jesus himself is the only one who has perfectly borne all of this fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit grows also in those who belong to him because Jesus has shared the Spirit of God, his own Spirit, with his people too, with us. So this fruit is the life of God alive in us who belong to Jesus. This fruit is what happens when God lives in us through his Spirit. The holiness that characterizes the Spirit characterizes also the people of the Spirit, the people of Christ. And the way that the Spirit does this, the way that the Spirit bears this fruit in us, is as he directs our attention to Jesus. It's as simple as that. That's the main work that the Spirit is always doing. He captures our hearts and minds and directs them to Jesus. He fills our vision with Jesus. He grants us to entrust ourselves to Jesus, to come to Jesus 
convicted of our sins and knowing that we need forgiveness that he offers. He empowers us to participate in the very life of Jesus, right? So the Holy Spirit is the Christ-centered spirit. Think of him that way. He's the one who's all about Jesus. He's the Christ-centered spirit. That's really who he is. That's how he works in us. He makes us also Christ-centered. So the Spirit, again, convicts us of our sins so that we turn to Jesus for forgiveness. The Spirit teaches us everything we need to know about Jesus, about who he is and what he said to us. The Spirit comforts us with the assurance of salvation that's found in Jesus. The Spirit unites us to Jesus, and he gives us new affections for Jesus, a new heart for Jesus. The Spirit enables us to confess that Jesus is Lord and to proclaim that Jesus is Lord. The Spirit himself is all the power of Jesus shared with us, which is how we can bear this fruit in our lives and in our relationships in the church. Because we have Jesus' own life, Jesus' own power, Jesus' own Spirit shared with us. He talks about it himself in John chapter 15. He says, uh, in the middle of a section where he really talks a lot about the Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit, he, he really talks about what the focus is. Here he says, abide in me, dwell in me, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. Nothing. Right? So the Spirit is the one who connects us to Jesus. So that we abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in us. So that the holy fruit of Jesus' life as the vine is also born in our lives as the branches connected to the vine. And with all this talk about Jesus and his spirit, it should be obvious at this point that the only people who can truly bear the fruit of the spirit are those who belong to Jesus. Those who abide in Jesus. We're talking here, even though they're they're fairly common words, We're talking about uniquely Christian fruit. We're talking about supernatural fruit. The life of the triune God alive in his people. That might strike you as an arrogant thing to say. And I I can understand that. Um, it, It does sound a bit arrogant sometimes to say, only Christians can bear the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and so on and so forth. But actually... Actually, it's a very humble thing to say because we're saying only Jesus himself actually bears this fruit. There's only one. And he's the best of us. He's the perfect one. Only he bears this fruit. And if we are able to bear this fruit to any degree at all, it'll only be by complete dependence on him, complete dependence on God. That's a humble statement. Because it is God who said, as Travis read in our Old Testament reading from Ezekiel 36, I will put my spirit within you, and I'll cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I'll cause you to grow in holiness because I'll put my spirit in you. 
God is the one who gives us his spirit. God is the one who causes us to walk by the spirit. God is the one who grows the fruit of the spirit in us. Yes, all kinds of people can demonstrate some semblance of this fruit. But ultimately, that's what it is. It's a semblance. It's an appearance. It's an imitation. The fruit of the Spirit, it's not just a virtue checklist. It's not just a tidy moral code for us to follow and feel good about it because we've done that. We've lived a good life. This is what it means very specifically to live with regard to the triune God. To live in relationship with the triune God. The only way to bear the true fruit of the Spirit is to have the Spirit of Christ, to belong to God through faith in Jesus. And as we go through the series and we talk about each of the fruit of the Spirit, we'll talk about what that means and why there are sort of easy imitation semblance versions of each one of the fruit and how the the true fruit of the Spirit really is born of a a uniquely Christian and supernatural relationship with God. When Christians uh, first came along bearing this fruit in the new community of the church existing in the ancient world, in ancient Rome, this fruit was definitely alien. This fruit was, was obviously alien. This is just not the way people live together apart from Christ, not really. And even inside the church, it's easy to to return to living as if we were apart from Christ. Something that's uh, so natural for the rest of the world to do, it's it's very easy for us to do too. We're constantly experiencing what the scriptures say here. It's this internal battle between the flesh and the spirit. This is where the scriptures say that our true conflict lies. This is the true battle for us as Christians. It's not with each other. That's not where the true conflict lies. It's not in the culture wars. That's not where the true fighting happens. It's within our very selves. It's the conflict between, the battle between the flesh and the spirit that goes on inside of each Christian. That's not to say, using this language, it might easily be mistaken. It's not to say that, you know, it's the material body, it's the physical body, the flesh, versus the mind or the heart or the the spiritual part of us, the spirit. It's a way of speaking about the battle that are, it's between two natures that are within Christians. You've got the old and the new, or the the unbelieving and the believing, the self-centered, self-exalting flesh, and the Christ-centered, Christ-exalting spirit. It's the flesh in us that sets us in opposition to each other. That's the source of all our conflicts with each other. The flesh in us that makes it so easy for us to be in conflict with each other, while the Spirit, who's the uniter of persons, He would restore us to each other. So that's the real battle in our lives between the unholy flesh and the Holy Spirit. Even though our true identity is in Christ, as the scriptures say in the New Testament very clearly, our true identity is in Christ, even though we're we're ultimately defined 
by the Spirit who lives in us. And even though we can say, along with Paul here, the things that we want, these are the holy things. Our truest desires are for, for what is holy. It's for what God wants. Even though that's the case, we're still constantly tempted to live without regard to God. To live as if we'd never heard of Jesus, to do the works of the flesh, to live in ways that grieve the Spirit as if he didn't fill us with God's life. We're always tempted to those things. It's very easy for us. But at least among believers in the church, there's an actual battle between those things. There's an actual battle between the flesh and the Spirit in the believer's life. Outside the church, apart from the Spirit, there's not even a battle. Apart from Christ, apart from His Spirit, it's all flesh all the time, which certainly does not produce God's fruit in us. But in the church... The Spirit unites us to Jesus so that we belong to Jesus, so that what's true of Jesus may also be true of us. For example, the fact that since Jesus has been crucified, says in verse 24, our flesh has also been crucified, along with its passions and desires. And we can begin to live that way truly as we live by the Spirit who unites us to Jesus. So if you're interested in this fruit uh, truly coming to characterize your life, then you know where you need to be. You need to be in Christ. You need to be counted among God's people. You need to receive the Spirit of God, the life of God, by hearing with faith, by entrusting yourself to Jesus. You need to be engaged in the true battle. It's the good fight. It's the fight of the Spirit against your own flesh, against your own sin nature. You need to keep in step with the Spirit. So let's walk by the Spirit together. Amen. Let's pray. Father, you didn't hold back your own Son from us. You gave him for our salvation to restore our relationship with you. And now, along with him, you've also freely given us your Holy Spirit. And so now, as Peter writes... Your divine power has granted all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Jesus, who shares his own glory and his own excellence with us, so that we may participate in your own divine nature. Now we may, we may become like you because we have your life in us, And this is grace upon grace, and we thank you for it. So we pray that you please, Holy Spirit, Christ-centered Spirit, help us always to abide in Jesus and He in us so that we'd become more like Him, so that we'd fight our own flesh and not each other, so that we'd be a people of love and joy and peace and bear all your fruit and walk in all your ways, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.